our news. As it happens, when it happens, wherever it happens. Local, regional, and global. Only on Q95, the big station. Q95DA.com. Right on Q. This is the Midday News for Thursday, August 25. In the headlines, leader of the Dominica Freedom Party, Bernard Ito, contends that the most extraordinary resource Dominica possesses is the people who are dedicated to knowledge and education acquisition. The Antigua cabinet has decided that all COVID-19 restrictions are to be lifted for arriving passengers by air, but passengers arriving aboard cruise ships will adhere to the protocols enforced by the cruise lines. And Kobe Bryant's widow, Vanessa Bryant, was awarded $16 million in a lawsuit where she accused Los Angeles County of negligence and invasion of privacy over gruesome crash site photos. The news is brought to you. Compliments, Courts Dominica Limited. Courts Back to School Bogo is here for a limited time, Thursday 25th to Saturday 27th August. Buy one item and get a second item at up to 50% off. And with ready finance, you can shop today with no cash. It's BOGO! Buy one, get one, up to 50% off for three days only, Thursday 25th to Saturday 27th August, only at Quartz. Conditions apply. See in-store for details. Quartz, bringing value home. Leader of the Dominica Freedom Party, Bernard Ito, said that Dominica has the most stupendous resources and of the most extraordinary resources it possesses is the people who are dedicated to knowledge and education acquisition and most importantly, hungry for success. He spoke on the Global View on Q earlier this week. Uh, the problem in Dominica is not Dominicans necessarily or, the, or, or our economic situation or, or our potential and our abilities. As I said, we have awesome resources. The most awesome resource we have is the people who are dedicated to knowledge and education acquisition and the people who are hungry to be successful. Uh, we also have people who are hardworking, right? We have, we have what we need. It's about human imagination and capability. It's not about natural resources per se. Everything can be made into a natural resources if, if you have enough dedicated and uh, motivated people. Look at Singapore. They had practically nothing. Look at Japan almost no natural resources. What they did have is a highly motivated people with, with well-educated to use knowledge and ideas to combine things in the natural world to create value. So I am hugely optimistic about Dominica. I'm excited about the possibilities of Dominica. Ito added that Dominica has a small population which can be used as an advantage to build an economy that works. He went on to say that we need to start thinking of the world as a market. Dominica has a small population that's actually an advantage. We can do this thing. We can build an economy that works by exporting to the world. We don't have to d depend on a small population as a market. We need to think the world is our market, but we have a small population to make wealthy, which is a good thing. China has a much more had a much more difficult proposition, one point something billion people, when they, be they, they pivoted in 1978, the same year that we got independent. They pivoted to a new paradigm. And you were thinking about, about the world. And today, they have lifted almost a half a billion people out of poverty and were on their way to becoming the world's super economic power. But they did it with new ideas, new conceptualizations, new leadership, leadership maniacally focused on national growth, national success. And that is what we need. That's Dominica's problem. I'm not optimistic, pessimistic about Dominica's opportunities. We simply need to get rid of this government. This government is incapable of doing it. And, and also, when we talk about these ideas and folks say, well, they could take the ideas and they could steal the ideas. No, they cannot. 
because it's not a matter of simply hearing the ideas, it's a matter of executing the ideas. DFP leader Bernard Ito. When the organizations and businesses that serve us fail, we are all affected. Therefore, good corporate governance is everybody's business. Chairman of the Caribbean Institute of Directors and Caribbean Governance Training Institute, Dr. Chris Bart, highlights some of the key elements of good corporate governance and explains how you benefit when organizations and businesses practice good corporate governance. Good corporate governance means that the processes of disclosure and transparency are followed so as to provide regulators and shareholders. So, I mean, the directors are the bricks and mortars of the governance system. So if you start off with bad directors, it's, it's, it's not going to bode well in terms of how all the other parts of the system uh, flow together. Uh, next in line, though, we would want to see in the selection of the directors, we usually want at least a majority, if not all of them, to be independent of management so that they can bring independent objective thinking to whatever decision is put before them uh, to, to decide uh, on behalf of the organization and, and, and make a great decision. Usually want to see the chair and the chief executive officers uh, positions separated because you want to have the board with its own unique leader separate from the leader on management. Now, sometimes for a whole variety of very good reasons, that's not always possible. And when that occurs, there is a fail safe mechanism, which is often recommended, and that is to have a, a lead director, a lead director who the independent directors can turn to uh, to discuss matters which might be uh, which might be difficult to talk with the board chair when that person is also the, the chief executive officer. You also want to have uh, you want to have them populated mostly with independent directors, uh, especially on the audit committee. On the audit committee, they should all be independent directors, uh, and they don't. They should also all be financially literate. Okay, the board is asking the audit committee to weigh in and do the heavy lifting with respect to determining the, the quality, the effectiveness of the internal control and reporting systems with respect to producing documents that others are going to rely on. Dr. Chris Bart, it is time we as a people make clearer stance against the abuse of our children because the present direction our society's heading is one that is far from pleasing the eyes of the Lord. This from social activist, child abuse prevention advocate Atherton Mata, encouraging people to open their eyes to the present phenomenon surrounding the very future and safety of our children. It is time for Dominicans of all kinds and from all quarters. The Lord is asking us to stand up, to come together and in very concrete, practical terms to reoccupy our country, to take back Dominica from the hands of those who have taken it and have led it down a path of destruction, where children are being violated by adults and people are able to remain silent. Even those who know, those who have evidence of that abomination, they are able to remain silent. That is, the, that is evidence of the presence of an evil and dark force in our country, which is not consistent with the Dominica that God gave us. Marte articulated what he describes as supportive silence to the atrocities facing our youth with hypocritical proclamations at church on weekends and encourage persons to make themselves present on Wednesday's Walk for Justice. We, the people, are no longer going to accept 
this demonism in our midst and it stops now. And those who are perpetuating it, whether they be priest, pastor, bishop, politician, lawyer, doctor, whatever, they have a chance to make their position clear. They can come and stand up in Roseau and walk in Roseau for Dominica and for the children of Dominica. They can declare it to the world and we will broadcast it live to the world. That you see those people there who refuse to come and stand up and refuse to walk? They are the ones who are perpetuating and propagating the evil and the destruction of Dominica. No more people, no more. The Lord says it, he commands it. It is up to us to show, are we going to be obedient to the Lord or are we going to keep on bowing down and scraping down to men who present themselves as false gods to us and cause us to be in violation of the same commandments that we profess to believe in and support. And every Sunday and Saturday go to church and say, in God's name, well, God is here. He's been here, you know, but we found a way to ignore him and replace him with the material things of the world. Well, he has had enough. Mr. Atherton Mata, financial consultant Ronald Lander believes that while Dominica has production issues, resources can be directed towards sectors that will increase productivity and generate demand for financial services. He pointed out that the banking system flourished significantly during our most productive years. He observed that the lack of production has placed significant pressure on the foreign banks, given the additional rules that have been implemented to combat money laundering and terrorist financing. Over a period of time, because of the lack of production and also the involvement of the Financial Action Task Force in putting certain recommendations for money laundering and terrorist financing, it has put a lot of pressure on the foreign banks. In the first instance, we are not making money because we're not in a productive economy. There's not a demand for our services. On the other hand, you've got more regulations being put in place by the FATF put into money laundering and terrorist finances. And consequently, they are very skilled. They are moving away from areas they view as high risk. And recently, the International Financial Reporting Standard Number 9 requires a certain level of provisioning for loan impairment, which is also putting a lot of pressure on the banking system. Lander said the global banks do not see the profitability of conducting business in small island states, which they perceive to carry significant risks. As a result, the island states must focus on the issue of production and cooperate with the local commercial banks and credit unions to expand their economies. He believes that we can direct our resources towards sectors that will increase productivity and generate demand for financial services, which will make Dominican banks much more viable. There's also a problem with corresponding banking relationships. Certain banks have a great difficulty in getting correspondent banks to ensure that they stay in the international financial infrastructure. So this is a major consideration. But I am of the firm opinion that if we can pay attention to the production side, we can be more productive. The resources, because we have a lot of resources, financial resources now from the CBI. If we can put those sources in the productive areas and create a demand for banking services, banks in Dominica can be much more viable. 
Ronald Lander, meantime financial advisor Lois Robinson, brought attention to the fact that some Caribbean banks had non-performing debts up to 50% when he appeared as a guest on Q95's Roots Connections on Q hosted by Dr. Simone Mathieu. A significant portion of that was due to the fact that they were not making adequate loan loss allowance provisions. The National Bank was not conducting loan reviews, nor did they have a loan review officer with an internal function to review such matters. One of the things that happens is the high level of non-performing loans. I found out in, in the Caribbean, some of these banks have non-performing loans up to 50%. This is madness. A lot of that had to do with the way they were not doing proper loan loss allowance and they were not provisioning effectively for these sorts of things. And the reason for that is because the National Bank, for example, were not conducting loan reviews. They, they didn't have a loan review officer. They didn't have an internal audit function that would even review those things. They didn't even have a credit analyst before 2001. He underlined that the majority of the founding employees of the national banking system were individuals who came from the Allen's international branch banks. He mentioned that they also made the error of removing the bank from the 1976 acts that authorized its establishment. The staff needed more training because they didn't interact with borrowers while making loans, which was another problem. Most of the staff who staffed the national bank initially were persons who came from these branch banks. None of these banks had internal auditors in Dominica. They didn't develop their policies in Dominica. All these sorts of things were not developed. So therefore, those persons who came from these branches of the International Bank, they could not put these policies in place. Another problem that I think they, 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 they did wrong was to remove the bank from the 1976 Act under which it was created and put it under the Companies Act. The other thing too is that there was a lack of training for staff. And one of the things I, I, I found incredible, you made a loan and that was it. They didn't talk to the borrower until maybe the borrower defaulted maybe for three, four months. They sit down and they expect somebody to come to them and ask them for a loan. You also have a response. Go out and say, okay, how can we help you? What are you doing? And so on and so forth. Still on the local scene, opposition leader Lennox Linton says our approach towards child abuse in Dominica needs to change. He was sharing his concerns about the current approach to the growing impacts of abuse on the most vulnerable. Though amendments have been made to the laws and regulations, ineptitude at prosecutions raises questions about any earnestness towards protecting the youth. Linton feels that a lot more can and should be done. For God's sake, we do have very important matters of legislation to deal with where the protection of children in, in Dominica from all kinds of abuse is necessary. And we are dragging our feet on it. We, we keep uh, talking about the amendments we made to the uh, Sexual Offenses Act some years ago. Part of the problem with that is that, yes, we, we made amendments and we strengthened the law in certain cases and penalties and so on. But the glaring examples of child abuse that are before us that are not being prosecuted forces the question are we serious? Are we just putting these things there for putting them their sake? 
But when uh, it appears that they're going to affect people that we know or people who support us, then the system does nothing. So, so, so we have a, a criminal justice system that 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 we are conditioning into an aversion, an aversion with child abuse cases. Somehow we, we don't get what needs to be done, done. We don't get it done. And we have these circular conversations. We, we just keep going around in circles. We talk the same thing over and over and over again. And uh, we never seem to be able to get to the bottom of it and really resolve the situation, which is most unfortunate. Opposition leader Lennox Linton and General Secretary of the DPSU Thomas Lita said that if there is one good thing that unions over the years have fought for is to ensure that there is a security of tenure within and outside of the public service for persons employed. He was speaking on the DPSU program Wednesday evening. If there is one good thing that the unions over the years fought very hard for, it is to ensure that there is security of tenure in the public service and outside of the public service. In other words, Brother Steve, mm-hmm. what they did was to negotiate hard so that somebody would not be in a job and not knowing what will happen tomorrow. Yes. You are in a job and you're guaranteed that once you perform and there, there's no reason, this disciplinary reason and so on, to get rid of you. And even if there is disciplinary um, causes, you have to go through a process. process. So our forefathers fought very hard for security of tenure. In other news this afternoon, the Antigua cabinet has decided that all COVID-19 restrictions are to be lifted for arriving passengers by air. With respect to passengers arriving aboard cruise ships, the cabinet has decided to adhere to the protocols enforced by the cruise lines until such time as the cruise lines themselves alter their protocols. The PS in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs will publish an updated travel advisory and the new revised rules that will become effective shortly after publication. The cabinet held intensive discussions on a wide variety of matters relating to the smooth running of the country. All members were present. And Kobe Bryant's widow, Vanessa Bryant, was awarded $16 million in a lawsuit where she accused Los Angeles County of negligence and invasion of privacy. She sued over gruesome photos taken at the scene of the helicopter crash that killed her husband and daughter and seven others. Carter Evans has more. It didn't take too long for this jury to come back. They deliberated for only four hours, Jamie, before reaching a verdict. The L.A. County Sheriff's Office and Fire Department are going to have to split responsibility for the payout since the jury found both infringed on Bryant's constitutional rights. Holding hands with daughter Natalia, Vanessa Bryant kept quiet as she left the courthouse after a jury awarded her $16 million. She sued Los Angeles County after it was revealed first responders had taken and then shared graphic photos of the scene where Kobe, daughter Gianna, and seven others were killed in a helicopter crash more than two years ago. Co-plaintiff Chris Chester, whose wife and daughter were among the crash victims, was awarded $15 million. His attorney argued the jury should award $75 million, mostly for future emotional distress. The two families say they live in constant fear the photos will surface online. Last week, Vanessa Bryant delivered emotional testimony saying she felt blindsided, devastated, hurt, and betrayed. 
In closing arguments, the defense called it a photos case with no photos. County officials say the images were scrubbed and never made public. An attorney for L.A. County said in a statement, while we disagree with the jury's findings as to the county's liability, we believe the monetary award shows that jurors didn't believe the evidence supported the plaintiff's request of $75 million for emotional distress. Shortly after the verdict, Bryant posted this picture to Instagram with the caption, All for you. I love you. Justice for Kobe and Gigi. This was really a wrenching trial. And CBS News legal contributor Jessica Levinson says the verdict should have a deterrent effect for law enforcement. They'll increase their training to make sure that this doesn't happen. And I think that they'll also increase their penalties within the agencies. In California, it is now illegal for first responders to take unauthorized photos of deceased people at the scene of an accident or a crime. The verdict was passed down as people across Los Angeles were celebrating Mamba Day to commemorate Bryant's incredible 20-year career with the Lakers. Kobe would have turned 44 years old. This and that's the midday news, but first a recap of the headlines. DFP leader contends that the most extraordinary resource Dominica possesses is the people who are dedicated to knowledge and education acquisition. The Antigua cabinet has decided that all COVID-19 restrictions are to be lifted for arriving passengers by air. And Kobe Bryant's widow, Vanessa Bryant, awarded $16 million in a lawsuit where she accused Los Angeles County of negligence and invasion of privacy over gruesome crash site photos. The news is brought to you. Compliments, Courts Dominica Limited. I am Kimberly Benjamin.